Welcome to Encounter Grace, where we come face to face with God's work in the world for our good. Join host Jason McKnight as we explore practical issues of community, theology, and leadership in everyday life. Hey everybody, welcome. Glad you're with us. I'm Jason McKnight and I'm here with Ben Hendricks and we have with us in the studio Major Kyle Ike of the United States Air Force. Kyle and Diana have been part of Grace Fellowship for over a year, and we're going to talk about speed <laughs> and a bunch of other stuff. But Kyle, thanks for coming by. Thanks, Jason. Great to be here. We love having you and Diana. I mean, she is the sweetest thing ever. Yeah, that is, that's a fact. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. So before we talk about Diana, we got to talk about business. We got to talk about work. You fly F-15 Strike Eagles. That's and, correct. And I'm a layman, so I'm not, maybe I'm not saying that right. But I want to know before anything else, without divulging national security secrets, how fast do these things go? How fast have you ever gone? All this kind of fun stuff on the speed. Yeah, great question. So the first delineator there, I will say there's two types of F-15s in the Air Force. You got the F-15E, which is what I fly, the Strike Eagle, and the F-15C, uh, which is the single seat variant. So I fly a two-seat variant. We have a weapon system officer that sits in the back, and they okay. work targeting and things. So. Uh, so to answer your question, um, speed-wise, <clears throat> it's not as exciting as uh, you might think. The F-15E is a little bit more bogged down because we have uh, that extra guy. Got more. Well, <laughs> the extra person, but then also a lot. Of, we carry a lot of extra gas, uh, and we are capable of carrying a lot of extra payload. Um, so it's a little bit more beefed up. Mm. Uh, I personally have gone. Uh, so we we reference our speed in terms of Mach, which just means the speed of sound is Mach 1.0. I've gone about Mach 1.1 is the fastest I've seen. Um, <clears throat> Wow. which is in layman's terms about 800 miles an hour along the ground uh the jet itself is capable of they say going up to like mach 2.5 uh which would be a significantly faster uh but to get to that speed you really have to take a lot of things off the jet um Fly down and hill. that and 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 yeah uh, basically downhill so uh and then and then think real hard about it uh so yeah. those configurations are not realistic to what we would do in flying in combat so we typically aren't doing that because you're you're burning a lot of fuel. Sure, are, yeah. At, yep. uh, at Mach 1.1. Uh, yeah. Let alone 2.5. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, at Mach 2.5, uh, you're a much lighter jet, so you can actually burn a lot less. Oh yeah. A lot less gas, and we can actually do. Uh, <clears throat> depending on the day, if you're really stripped down like that, you can potentially super super cruise. We call it, which is essentially not using afterburner, which is a lot less fuel right. uh, to get to that speed. But again, not realistic because we don't ever. You can't you can't yeah. carry anything useful if you go to combat in that configuration. So, no, so that's fun. So when we hear the jets flying around out here, how fast are they going? We're we're typically cruising anywhere between three hundred and three hundred fifty uh, knots is okay. how we reference. So that'd be like basically three seventy five, you know, mm -hmm. ish miles an hour. Wow. So, yep. Um, for us, it's just our cruise. You know, it doesn't feel that fast. But if you're down low. <laughs> No, yeah, well, because you're not passing signs. That's right. <laughs> like speed on That's the exactly right. It's you all know. relative, right? Yeah, if you're up, up at altitude, speed doesn't feel like anything. You get down low, though, in a canyon, and mm -hmm, you feel it. Right. So, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's the good life down low. I've never thought of that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good point. See, yeah. Ben's starting to think now. Yeah, he's, uh -huh. yeah that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, it's a different world up. When you're up high, it's, you know. It's not as exciting. Not as much so to hit, right? That's, that's well, hopefully, yeah, that's well. right. Unless you're <laughs> flying close to other airplanes. Then it's <laughs> well, that's a good point. But Wow. All right, Ben, what you got for him? All I really, really want to know, I've been wanting it's, to know this for forever, is what in the world is your call sign? Great question. Uh, I love talking about this. So, <laughs> all right, so my call sign is Shepard. Um, and, and fun fact for those people that don't, maybe aren't familiar, uh, if you've ever watched Top Gun, uh, you see that there, you know, you got Maverick and Goose and Iceman and all those guys, right? 
Val Kilmer. And people always wonder, that's right, people always wonder if that's actually a thing that we do, and it sure is. In fact, there are, I would say, 50% of my squadron probably doesn't know my first name. Uh, wow. So you would have to go be like, hey, is Kyle here? And be like, who? Is Shepard here? Oh, Shepard, yeah, he's, yeah. you know, wherever. Uh, so we all, we legitimately give each other nicknames uh, or call signs, and we go by them exclusively. So, so Shepard, um, that is my call sign. Uh, story behind it is that when I was young and new in the Strike Eagle, we were at Nellis Air Force Base, which is in Las Vegas, uh, doing some training. And as we were coming back to land, my flight lead, uh, I was the wingman. There's two parallel runways there, and he was lined up on the wrong runway. The runway, we were not clear to land on the runway that he had lined up on. <laughs> so uh, I was really confused because he's super experienced, right? And, and I'm like, uh, I don't know if he's doing the wrong thing or not. Uh, should I say something on the radio? And right. um, as, a, as a fighter pilot uh, and as a wingman, you do not speak up unless your flight lead is on fire or just to respond as number two, right? So like, you do not speak up unless it is absolutely dire and necessary. Uh, and so in this moment, I'm like, I don't want to say anything because maybe I'm missing something. Eventually I gained the courage enough to say something to him and he went, he executed what we call a go around and basically didn't touch down on the runway like at the last second. And so fortunately I was right and he was indeed trying to land on the wrong runway. And so I saved him saved him in quotes, yeah. you know, from landing on the wrong runway. runway. Uh, and they named me Shepard because his call sign was goat. And so, <laughs> so they gave me the call sign Shepard because I essentially herded him around the pattern, uh, around the traffic pattern uh, to keep him from landing on the wrong runway. So uh, that was uh, a great moment for me. Most call signs are because somebody did something really dumb or, or right. really embarrassing. And I've I'm fortunate to have one that was for something good. So, <laughs> I'm guessing goat wasn't a good one. Uh, probably not. I don't know the story behind it, to be honest. Because it wasn't so. the goat. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah, but he was our squadron commander at the time, so he is a pretty high-ranking individual. So. so you don't make fun so, of him. Yeah, that's right. That's, yep. Nope. It that's is right. funny. I, you know, when people get to be high-ranking and even generals, and they're still known by their nicknames. And that's right. Like, I'm, I'm outside. I'm a civilian. But just to hear people, talk, I'm like, well, that's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's, a, it's its own little culture. And it's that's a, funny. Fun. Like, just because, so I, I mean, playing sports in college, like I, I just grew up in a world where people really didn't, also didn't know my first name. Yeah. Like we were just last names. That's right. Yeah. Like, uh, so it's so cool just to, yep. to also, I mean, be able to relay on that. It's exactly the same thing. Yeah. That's right. Uh, it's true. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, how did you get into the Air Force? Like, first of all, where, where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to college? Why did you get interested in flying? And then of all the paths you could have taken, how'd you get Strike Eagles? Yeah. Uh, so it started as a young kind of boyhood dream, you know, kind of like you hear um, mm. for a lot of people. Uh, I was kind of between, I, I just grew up going to air shows and playing, you know, flight sim with my dad and my uncle. Yeah. Uh, my uncle was always really into flying and had a, a desire as a kid to be in the Air Force. And um, so he kind of, between him and my dad, they kind of spurred me on to those desires, you know. Um, I was torn between being a doctor and being trying to go be a fighter pilot because being a fighter pilot is like one of those things you're like, oh, yeah, right, sure. I right. can dream about it, but it's not actually going to happen. Uh, and their uncle can be a doctor. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> neither of that, I guess, too, right? But that seemed more realistic because I knew yeah. more people that were doctors, right? Yeah. So to me, it was like a, a more attainable, right? right. Uh, and then, long story short, I, I went on a mission trip and realized – we are super blessed to live in this country. And so that just honed my desire to like serve, uh, yeah. the, serve the country. So fast forward, uh, I do all the things basically to, to go to college and decide I'm going to do ROTC. Mm. So 
sorry to answer your initial part of that question. I grew up in Rochester, New York, so western Western New York. Uh, anyone not familiar with New York is it's not all city. There's actually a state up right. there as well. And I it's like pretty. The, that's right. It is. It's beautiful. People don't realize it. It's not all concrete jungle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I grew up in western New York, and I went to school at a – we have a series of state schools up there. We call them State University of New York, or, or SUNY for short. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to a school called SUNY Geneseo, uh, but I did my ROTC up at Rochester Institute of Technology, which is up in Rochester. So I went to school about 20 minutes south of there. So I bounced back and forth, did ROTC for four years. And during that four years, you basically compete with the other cadets, if you will. You just try to be a good leader. And uh, and then if you fall within basically the top, you know, I don't know how. It depends on how many pilot slots they have, they call them, that year. But anyway, if you do well enough you can, and you want to be a pilot, you get selected to go to pilot training. So I was super fortunate uh, and blessed to have gotten that opportunity. Uh, and then I went to... <clears throat> So there's my, basically my childhood dreams are being fulfilled, you know, at this point. Um, and all along the way, I'll just throw in there, like God was really just help directing me, you know, in a lot of ways, like, uh, one quick story. I, I ended up super blessed to have a scholarship to go to school, but I was actually, Genesee was actually my safety school, if you will. It was actually the hardest school to get into, but it was hmm. the only school that was in state and the scholarship they gave me only allowed me to go to an in-state school. Oh. And I had told, I know you're not supposed to make deals with God or whatever, right? But I had prayed and I was like, I don't know what school to pick, but God, if you want me to go to this safety school, then give me the scholarship that only allows me to go there. Mm. And sure enough, that's what happened. And yeah. I remember that was probably the, the most peace I've ever felt about a decision in my life to that point as, you know, a wow. high schooler, right? Like, well, I didn't want to go to this school as my primary, but here I am. So I'm going. Felt great about it. Uh met diana there so that that's the best part of the story seals the deal yeah so okay so anyway uh and then from there go to pilot training after college down in del rio texas uh and then we have a the air force does this thing where when you get done with pilot training you can actually be selected to stay there selected most people don't want to do this but you Mm. get kept there as an instructor so uh and we have an acronym for that because the air force has acronyms for everything we call it being a fape f-a-i-p is how it's and it stands for first assignment instructor pilot so usually one person from every pilot training class will, will be held back to be an instructor. So I stayed there for three years to be an instructor hmm. uh, in the uh, T6, which is like our single engine turbo prop trainer. Uh, greatest, greatest job uh, that I've had, uh, honestly. Being a fighter pilot's great, and I'll get to that, but that was really fun uh, teaching you guys. So we did that. Diane and I, were we got married while I was training to do that, uh, and then we were there for three years, and then... From there, you essentially have to recompete. So, if you're in pilot training, when you're in pilot training, you compete based on how well you do in pilot training for getting a fighter slot or whatever. Uh, but if you get selected to stay back as an instructor, you have to recompete. So now I have three years. I got to compete with my peers that are instructor pilots there to get re rack and stacked. And then, based on how you fall, then you get they send you, hey, we've got these fighters available. And then you know the number one guy gets whatever his number one pick was if it's available, and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. Right. So I was fortunate enough. My number one pick was to go to Strike Eagle. Uh, I put that on my list as number one, and I uh, there was you know one available, and I that's did well great. enough. So, so that's how I ended up in Strike Eagles, and uh, and then from there came here to Goldsboro, North Carolina, to or not here, I guess we're we're in Kinston, but right, yeah. but went to yeah, Goldsboro to train in the in the F fifteen, and then so uh, you came straight history. from Texas. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yep, that's right. Yeah, there so was you, like some training in between there in yeah. Texas, but. So, okay, uh, so like all the different, like we always get the pilots, you know, like we hear Mountain Home, Idaho, or right. Elmendorf, Alaska. Elmendorf. So it used to be, there used is still be. a base there, we no longer have F 15s there. Okay, yeah. and then Lake and Heath. Lake and Heath, England, yeah. 
so there's not that many places where F-15s are. Like, That's, I'm showing my ignorance. <laughs> uh, no, but you're very right. There's a lot of people know that. There's only three. It's, okay. it's Seymour Johnson in, in Goldsboro, Mountain Home in Idaho, and then Lake and oh. Heath in England. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, wow. those are the only three uh, F-15E specific bases, yeah. And then, um, okay, let me ask you this then about F-15E. So I know, again, showing my ignorance, I know the difference between a bomber and a fighter. Yeah. <laughs> but you kind of started talking about it with F-15C, single and whatever but what like what what does an f-15e do yeah so uh F-15... Like why would someone use that squadron instead of an f-15c yeah good question uh so the f-15c so we are a multi-role platform we call it okay. and the f-15c is is just a, a very specific it it just does air to air so if you're thinking like uh watching top gun right shooting down other jets mm-hmm. um really that's what the f-15c does purely okay. just air to air focus okay they can't carry any air-to-ground weapons at all, any bombs or anything, right? Oh, yeah. uh, in the F-15E, we are air-to-air focused, but we also have an air-to-ground role, uh, the ability to put bombs in the jet. So, right. so really what we're designed to do is be able to self-escort into a threat area so we can go in, we can defend ourselves against any air threats, we can drop our bombs, and then we can get out and defend ourselves against any air threats in theory. So like wow. a utility so, player. That's right. Yeah, that's right. We can kind of wow. do everything. So uh, <laughs> two thousand mile an hour for utility. Good at everything. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's, that's what, and really that's what we cool. train to. So. Um, so we, that. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, that said, though, the F-15C guys, like they are the masters of the air-to-air domain, right? So mm. we train to it, and we we try to be really good at it. Yeah. Um, but those guys are like they're King Kong, you know. Wow. Uh, when you get out there in air-to-air environment, wow. so. Uh, and are are we still doing that these days with drones? Uh, not the air-to-air piece with it's drones necessarily. No, they're more. Doing air to ground type. Well, type drones thing, are just doing so. air to ground, but there's still dog fights and air to air stuff. Uh, and, like I guess I wouldn't say dog fights. There is a role for it. We train yeah. to it. Yeah, okay. it, whether or not it happens, um, it, we're not in a in a fight right now where we're doing any air to air type not. of stuff. <laughs> yeah, so, no, that's true. Fortunately, but, yeah. thank um, the Lord. Yeah, but we do train to it so that we're ready if we need to. Mm. So, yeah. Wow, wow. Yeah. Um, so where have you deployed? Uh, the or Middle can East. You share? Yeah, 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 I, no, I can no, be the generic Middle East. Like, so I've got two east of England. Uh, that's right. That's right. Uh, we stopped in England on the way, though. Uh, it's beautiful. Uh, yeah, been in the so, middle. Okay, you've been Middle East. Yeah, flying basically in Iraq and Syria over there, uh, doing combat. Uh, I did two deployments over there, um, based out of a undisclosed location, technically. Although, you know, you can find anything on the internet these days, so you could probably. <laughs> I haven't really searched too hard for it, uh, but if you could probably figure it out, I'm sure somewhere on the internet. You can but. you can make up a lot of stuff too on the internet. That's also true. So you could, <laughs> it's up to you if you want to believe what you read or not. Uh, yeah, that's right. But anyway, yeah. So that's where where I was deployed to. <laughs> what does um so like from from the fun of what guys love to talk about to, to then okay you're deployed Diana's at home and yeah. so let's talk a minute about military spouses. You know what? What do we do to help? What do we do to just befriend them when when their husband or their wife is gone? Yeah, um, which I so, know primarily husbands. <laughs> that it is, yeah, but there, it's true. It goes both ways. Um, so that Diana's response to that is always the first thing you need to know. You need to know the person. So if uh, if you are in a, a friendship, have a friendship with a spouse of someone who's deployed, uh, every spouse is is different in some ways, right? Uh, so it's important to know to know them. The big overarching uh, idea that she has expressed and other other spouses that are friends with us is if 
if you just say something simple like, hey, just let me know if you need anything, no one's ever gonna reach out to you, right? So really the approach needs to be more so like, and again, knowing the person, what, what you can what do to actually help want. them. Yeah. An example that most spouses will give is like, don't, don't ask, you know, let me know when you need something. Call them and tell them, "Hey, I'm coming over. We're gonna have. I'm gonna bring a bottle of wine and dinner, mm-hmm. uh, or a bottle of grape juice or whatever, apple juice, whatever. <laughs> Doesn't have to be wine, right? On the podcast. <laughs> so you bring over. I'm bringing dinner over, right? And, right. and don't give them the option to say yeah. no, right? Uh, granted, you gotta again, gotta know them because maybe if they hate being surprised or, or yeah. whatever, like don't yeah. do that. Uh, or if if you notice their grass needs to be mowed, or you know that they're gonna need their grass mowed, like just go mow it, don't ask mm-hmm. them. Or if you happen to live in the North Country where there's, we get the white stuff called snow, you know, yep. uh, go shovel their driveway. Um, or if you're in Kinston, just wait for a half hour and it'll melt. Um, <laughs> but things like that is, is important, uh, yeah. is, is probably the overarching thing. Uh, and then some, some people like more, they're more social, they want more investment they want more attention from people there's other people like diana is is very much she's a she's very independent woman and so she's not necessarily she doesn't want all the constant you know pandering and like hey do you need this do you need that do you need help like she's very more independent um so you just got to know the person but the bottom line is you know don't don't tell them to reach out you need to reach out and like go i think that's hey i'm taking the kids you get to go yeah go have the day or whatever so i think that's super wise and And we think we've done it by saying, "Oh, just let me know what you need," and I'm I'm glad. And yeah, but really, and and you know what? Same too with uh, people like maybe struggling with a long-term cancer or long-term disability yeah. or long-term. Don't leave it in their court. That's right. To ask for something. That's right. Come like think mm-hmm. ahead, and and the, the Lord will give you what to do. Absolutely, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And worst case scenario, they're a little bit upset because yeah. you came at the wrong time, but you still help, you know, it's... You bring escargot and they don't like That's it. right. How offended can they really be, right? Yeah, so... <laughs> yeah, probably considerably with escargot. Yeah, maybe. That's true, that's I don't true. Know maybe. I that. maybe. <laughs> I've never had that. Like, escargot, <laughs> yeah. How many cookouts did you pass? <laughs> is that snail? I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. Something like that? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not fancy A lot enough. of garlic and butter, I guess, is... Yeah. That's, not that's the only go. way you can make it. Yeah, not even butter and garlic can help there. Ooh, no, that's probably true, yeah. Well... Let's go back to the Air Force as a whole. What is what is the mission of the U.S. Air Force? And then we kind of touched on it, but how is it changing with drones or with different warfare today? Yeah, uh, so it's a great question. I actually had to look this up because our Air Force mission has changed uh, a few times. So I wrote it down really? just to make sure I don't screw yeah. it up. It's to fly, fight, and win, air power, anytime, anywhere. It used to be wow. fly, fight, and win, airspace, and cyberspace, but now we have the Space Force, so yeah. yep. we changed it. So we don't have that anymore. Fly, uh, fight, and win. Yep, and Love air power, it. anytime, anywhere. Right, like so it. we can get AAA. it. We can get it global, global uh, air dominance if we need it. Um, with the drone, with respect to the drones, really, there's no change to the mission per se. That just enhances our ability to right. to fight, uh, to project power um, further and over a longer period of time. So, really, what drones give us is the ability to have loiter time. We call it loiter time. Uh, so, a human, really, really, humans are the, are the limiting factor in war right as humans we can only sustain so much um as an example uh when you're flying fighter jets uh and you're in in an aggressive turn think of like being in your car right and and if you're in a turn in your car it's kind of pushing you to left or right right so those are the the induced forces of inertia or g forces we call them due to gravity right uh in a fighter jet we can only sustain basically nine g's for uh, a certain amount of time um but at some level, our bodies cannot sustain G for a long period of time because it will cause the blood to leave your brain, then you pass out, and then 
you, you die potentially, <laughs> That's not right? Good for the plane. But a drone is not susceptible to any of that, right? Yeah. And a drone can stay airborne for 24 hours at a time, whereas you know, at like, I hit like my longest mission, I think, is nine hours, and like that's that's brutal. You were it's, ready to get yeah, out. like you yeah. can't feel your feet anymore practically. So, yeah. uh, anyway, drones give us the ability to be on station for mm. a very very long time without that human element coming into play. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, it just gives us the ability to. Uh, to be able to fight more effectively because you've got now a system that's unmanned, so you're not worried about human error. You're not worried about uh, other issues there that might come up. So, and all our kids playing video games are going to be the next drone. Yeah, that's masters. right. That's right. They're, I mean, they're setting themselves up for success with that for sure. <laughs> so, so. I mean, they're good. I mean, my yeah. kids are going to be Air Force colonels or captains. Or that, that's that, true. That's the one thing Fortnite yeah. has going for it: Re- realism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there is research into that. I mean, there's something to be said for playing video yeah. games. It's just not spending all of your time doing it, and your right, your yeah. brain turns to mush. You know, so that's true. That's everything true. in moderation. Louder? Hold on. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, go the, ahead. one of the ones that I was because we talked about this when we when we had you guys over for dinner was like mm-hmm. some of the. Uh, I'll ask it this way: Like, what are some of the best things you've learned about leadership just in your mm. service so far? Yeah, so there is a uh, man. So all of the. Air Force is just leadership. That's really what they wow, focus yeah. on, which is great. Because um, as a as a fighter pilot, I'm also an officer, right? Air Force officer, right? So it's all leadership based. Uh, so there's a lot. There's a few things that I will uh, I will say. The first thing is, as a leader, your job is to take care of people. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> the weapons school, which is like our the elite fighter pilot school. Uh, which is housed at Nellis Air Force Base is a very aggressive training program that like the best of the best go through. Uh, and their motto is to be humble, credible, approachable. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of applies as a blanket statement for being a leader. That's how you you should be kind of in your character. Uh, and then always, always having the mindset of I'm here to take care of people. How do I do that effectively? Right. And then how do I make myself humble, credible, and approachable so that people will come to me with their problems? Right. Uh, General or Colin Powell said uh, the, the day that, people stop bringing me the, their problems is the day that I've lost them. So mm. uh, so I think that's critical as a leader. And, and we lose sight of that sometimes because we think of us, a lot of times when you think of yourself as a leader, you think of yourself as like the boss or the manager, right? Sure. And a manager is not a leader necessarily, right? A good manager is a good leader, but uh, you're not there just to tell people what to do and direct them. Um, you're there to empower them to be, to be effective and to achieve a common goal, right? Mm-hmm. So that's probably the biggest thing. Uh, the other things I've learned is you need to rely on your experts. So you are not the expert as the leader necessarily. You're there to, to help them and pave the way so that those experts can get it done. And it is not a shame on you as a leader to go to the expert and ask a question because you don't know. A lot of people get hung up like, oh, no, I'm in charge. I'm the boss. And like assert their dominance with like, this is what we're doing. Like, we'll hold the phone, man. Like, you're not the expert in this. Reference your experts, right? Um, and that's an important part of leadership too. Uh, and then the other thing I will just say that I've learned in my 10 years so far is you have got to be as a leader, have the ability to be big picture, right? So mm-hmm. sometimes we get really honed in on like the little nitty gritty stuff or like someone makes a mistake and we're like, Oh, I need to punish them to make an example or something or things like that. I'm like, no, no, no. You, you gotta have a big picture. Like, like allow people to make mistakes. People shouldn't be afraid to make mistakes because otherwise they're going to, they're going to, they're going to act defensively a lot and they're going to hold back on you because they're afraid that if they screw up, they're going to get fired or get in trouble or something mm-hmm. like that. So if you're not big picture, uh, people will not reach their full potential because they will they will just do the bare minimum to survive instead of go with all they've got to succeed. So 
That's um, really good. Yeah, so people, I mean, focus on people. Yeah, it, that's uh, what it is. It's the focus on people, yeah. yeah. I mean, just what you were saying, focus on, focusing on people, trusting your experts and vision, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. That's right. I mean, I, I wish I'd heard those three things probably about 10 years ago. Yeah, I would have learned that a little bit easier. Well, you hear them now, and yeah, so you right. can apply them. And, and they apply at home, too. So your, it's little, true. your little Harper is just young. You haven't yeah, messed her up right. yet. That's right. <laughs> How about uh, generals in history? Like, who, who are your favorite generals? Like, yeah. I mean, you're, you're thinking a lot about leadership. Yep. Who, who's your go-to? Always. Uh, so in terms of the generals in, in history, there's a couple that I really, I really like. The first one being General George Washington. I mean, that mm-hmm. guy, he built a nation, right? Not him alone, but he empowered yeah, and, yeah. and allowed people and led them to that. Uh, so I love, I love just his yeah. his example that he set. Right. The other one that I love is uh, is General Dwight Eisenhower. Uh, one because everyone referred to him as Ike, right? And that's my last name, so naturally, <laughs> right? And he didn't have any hair, and I don't have any hair, so it's all great. Uh, <laughs> you do kind of favor I do. Him. Yeah, it's great, right? Yeah, I feel like I could sort yeah, of be brothers, Dwight Eisenhower. That's right. So. Uh, and if you read a little bit about him, just in a quick search, right, the, the character traits that the people would use to describe him is he was super friendly, mm. he was humble, um, and he was an optimist. And so those are some, some of the character traits that I really try to exude uh, both as a Christian and just as a, as a, as a leader and as a person. Uh, yeah. But that man led the greatest amphibious invasion in history, so in D-Day. So, like, it's just crazy because he – sometimes we think of those big generals that led – you know, we think of, like, General George Patton, right? And if you don't know anything about him, yeah. just go read – you will not find friendly and you may find optimist, <laughs> yeah. but like an aggressive yeah. optimist. Right. Yeah. And like, that's right. That's right. So you think of leadership, you don't think of friendly and optimistic and, and, and approachable. And that's what general Eisenhower mm-hmm. was. So, uh, yeah. So that's those cool. are the guys that I kind of look to among, uh, a wealth of other folks. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, it's mean to sort of say one or two. Cause That's right. Well, I mean, probably twenty of them that you. Really yeah, those are just the ones that come to mind. Ha, the, have you met Colin Powell? I have not. I, no. I mean, I love that. So I'm, you know, I grew up first Gulf War. Oh yeah. Like I was in college then, so I, yeah. I kind of remember when the bombing started, thinking, oh well, I might end up fighting. Like if sure. this turns into World War Three, yeah, right. We didn't know everything was going to collapse so fast, but yeah, Colin Powell, man, he's yeah, he's, he's a great, guy. he's a great guy. Yeah, he's got a lot of good. A lot of good anecdotes, a lot of good lessons learned, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, real smart guy. So you grew up in a Christian home? I did, yes. And, yep. But you made Christ, you made a walk with Christ your own. Uh, yeah. Yep. And, and you have uh, sort of all your, all your time in the service, you've been a follower of Jesus. That's right. Yep. And um, tell us about that, that interaction of serving the country and uh, being in the Air Force and then following Jesus and just how's that? I mean, because everyone is representing Christ in their workplace That's or in right. their classrooms. Yep. And how do you do it? Yep. Uh, well, not well, because I'm a human and I make mistakes. <laughs> uh, I wish I didn't. Uh, so the the thing that comes to mind most when I think of trying to be Christ-like at work, especially in a leadership environment, is servant leadership. And that's a term that we use a lot. Uh, there's different kinds of leadership. In the Air Force, you use it a lot. Yeah, we do. We that's do talk amazing. about that, right? And yeah. so that's actually what I always strive to get that like written on my like performance reports, you know, that like if I can get if my leadership will say that you know he's a servant leader I'm like yeah sweet we're winning that's exactly what I want to be because I think Jesus like he like was the the founder I feel like of servant leadership right washing disciples feet and and all the things yeah. that he did was servant leadership right yeah and we te- typically don't put servant and leadership together again for the things I talked about earlier right you think of them the boss man they're in charge and in control like they're not serving they're leading right no those things should go hand in hand and if you're leading well in my opinion especially as a Christian 
you are a servant, right? So you're always trying to outserve your people. Um, and so that's kind of my goal. And that's, that's, that's my primary objective as a Christian is just to try to think, how do I, lead, how do I act as a servant leader, really? Uh, and then how do I build relationships? Because you cannot uh, witness to people effectively if you don't first build a foundation and a relationship with them. Um, and, then, and then from there, uh, show them Christ. So, uh, so that's kind of where I, where I fall on that. I think that's the best way to do it. Amen. I mean, seriously, just, just living, living out of the power of the Spirit and the joy of the Lord and the servant like Jesus. Yeah. I'm curious, though, like how long do most pilots stay in one spot for? Because the building relationship part is probably hard, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you're right. That's, and that is mm. the hardest part. So it depends on your assignment. Okay. My first assignment, I was fortunate to be there for five years because, like I said, I did pilot training, and then I yep. stayed as an instructor. But that's exceedingly rare. Typically, your assignment's going to be about two years and eight months is like the minimum time they will say that you're going to stay mm. somewhere. Typically, oh, wow. it's about three is what we will say. So, yeah, it's not a lot of time. It's just about enough time to get to know people. And then you're like, oh, I just got to know these people, and now I'm leaving. Um, so you have to be very intentional, and that's something Diane and I have learned finally. Mm. Like when you get to a new place, you've got to be out the door like day one, right? So one thing we did when we got here, we finally learned in – you know, our, we're on our like third or fourth assignment now. We finally, so like day one, we went out and met all our neighbors because we were sick of like getting to year two, two years and six months and like, oh, we have these great neighbors. We just got to know them. <laughs> no, to we're going to get out the door right now. We're going to knock on their door and introduce ourselves. And so, uh, so you just have to be very intentional, right? Yeah. So with that mindset of like, I want to get to know people and build relationships, you got to get in there and do it um, yeah. and force them to want to be in a relationship with you. <laughs> You will like you me. You will right? like me. Well, I mean, just, I, just like Eisenhower. That's right. And I, I've seen that just in, in y'all's time here at Grace, but also mm. in our house church. Like, I mean, how does that work when you mm. do show up to the church? Like, how do you kind of get out the door day one and become intentional in it? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And house church is exactly it. Uh, mm. So that was what uh, Diane and I, when we got here, <clears throat> it had actually been a while because of COVID and other factors yeah, and me true. deploying a bunch in the last assignment. It was tough to find a group. And Diana actually was really awesome. This she's like, we need to have a small group again. I was like, sweet, let's do that. So she spurred me on. You know, uh, I'm a little ashamed to say I should have been the leader on this. And she was like, no, we're like we need to do this. I'm like, okay, sweet, I'll I'll do it. I'll do it. So I listened. Diana is right like 99 percent of the time. <laughs> the one percent that I'm right, it's probably just by accident. Yeah. <laughs> and I, but and I say that, and I still don't get it. I still don't listen all the time. And then I find out she's right. So anyway, this time I listened. I was like, okay, I'm gonna do this. So. I, I don't remember how I reached out if I talked to you. Maybe. Yeah, that's right. I think you and I talked, Jason, and I was like, hey, yeah, we need yeah. to know the house churches, and you hooked us up with a couple. And uh, and so that anyway, to answer your question, that's how like we get yeah. involved right away is get to know the people and then figure out where the needs are and then things like serving the serving teams and stuff, right, like getting plugged in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how I think you get invested quickly. But the house churches, I think, is where it starts uh, to get to know yeah. people and build a core group of friends because that's what brings you back is the relationships. I mean, that's exactly so, right. That's right. Not that the preaching is not great, Jason. No, but, but uh, it's not the worship or the preaching. Like that gets you for a little while, but it's it's when you're connected. That's right. You have people, to be connected. People, yep. people, people. Yep. And I had a youth pastor uh, growing up that he said something profound to me before I went to college. He's like, if you do not get yourself invested in like the first, I think he said 72 hours. He was probably exaggerating for effect, but he's like, if you don't and you keep saying, I'm going to do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, eventually you won't do it. So that's kind of the stance we took, too, is like we've got to get invested now or we will just fade off into a sea of faces, you know, and we'll just be comfortable really not knowing anyone. And so. Yeah. I mean, I said that to a lot of our uh, seniors about to go off to college, that the stats are you make your friends for the next four years in the, in the first three to seven days. Yeah. Mm. That's exactly Those it. Those first it's, couple it's, days it's matter. Right. 
I mean, yeah. get to get to campus ministries, yeah. churches yeah. first. Well, well, Kyle, listen, you are busy, but this is so much fun to talk and to talk servant leadership and to talk speed and to talk. Uh, I, I didn't. I actually can't wait to have you back and talk more about mm. all the things you've learned about leadership and and not all of them because we'd have to do five of them. But yeah, <laughs> there's great <laughs> books just, out there you can read. I, that you know, I'm ashamed to say I I forget that as an officer, your life is leadership, and and so yeah. you're in a sort of 24 seven leadership lab to to keep you growing and stuff and. Yeah. And I love that. And and I was we were talking before, like, you know, the church has to do leadership well because we rely on volunteers. But the military, to me, does leadership as well as any other organization in the world. And um, and they do it for, at least in this country and, and I think in the West, they do it for the service of the country, not for the extension of an empire, <laughs> you know, right. Putin or whoever. Um, but that's just what's amazing to me is to watch this leadership culture. Kyle, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for coming to Grace. And we give thanks to God all the time for you and Diana. You're right. It's nice to know even a fighter pilot can marry up. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Because we think of fighter pilots as high-achieving guys. But to know that there you are marrying up, just like the rest of us, all of us have married up. Yeah, that's right. Yep. I remind myself of that every day. Yeah. and Because you know our wives. You know. Yep. So, hey, thanks for joining us. And everybody in the listening community, we're just so glad you're part of uh, Encounter Grace. Share this with a friend. We'd love to get to know you more. You can comment and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. But we just love to help people in the world come face-to-face with God's grace. So have a great day, and we'll see you next time. This is a ministry of Grace Fellowship Church in Kinston, North Carolina. Visit gracekinston.org.